And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Tifo Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm welcomed. Now, I'm not welcomed. I am here to welcome Alex Stewart. Hi. I got that all wrong, didn't I? I've done that yeah, a thousand times. Convoluted, but we got I am welcomed by Alex Stewart. Now, Alex and I have got a lot to talk about this week because, of course, the Champions League happened. The Champions League happened. Uh, PSG, Manchester City, Real Madrid, Chelsea. We talk about those games. Uh, we talk about Christina Aguilera. Uh, we talk about the Sopranos and uh, some other stuff that, that pops up too. There's a Joe's Player Quotes and Facts database at the end, which was very exciting. Um, Seb isn't here this week. He's on a holiday, a well-earned rest, although he keeps tweeting about football, so I don't know how much... Of a switch yeah, off, I he's actually that getting. as well. Yeah, <clears throat> what a bastard. Yeah, but he'll be back next week, uh, so that'll be fun for us. Uh, but what did you enjoy about today's episode, Alex? Um, just all of it, Joe. It was just a just a roller coaster of fun. Uh huh. What a hollow answer. It really was a. Uh, <laughs> it really was actually, a non-answer. I, I did the. Um, I was flabbergasted by the Tony Soprano information. That genuinely, sure. that genuinely shocked me. Mm, there's some age-related soprano information that we discuss at some point in this podcast. Stick around for that. Um, also, if you like finding out what age people are, you should subscribe to the Athletic. <laughs> Where sometimes they'll put a footballer and then his age in a bracket after his yeah. name. No, it's normally after a comma. That's the common way of doing it. But, you know, that's one of the places where you can find out. Plus other things like um, everything that's happening and all the all the top info out there you can get mainly from the mouth of people such as David Ornstein, uh, uh, Ollie Kay, Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence. Yeah, other now I could carry on for quite a long time actually. There's a big stuff here at the Athletic UK, and I'm uh, delighted to be able to offer you a 30-day free trial. So you can actually just try it out for free. How about that? You don't even need to part with any of your hard-earned uh, money. So if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, that's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you can get a 30-day free trial now and uh, enjoy it for the next 29 days and then cancel. Woo! But you'll find out about loads of people's ages during that time. <clears throat> all right. Well, that's all. Uh, we'll crack on with the episode now, starting with uh, PSG and Man City. And uh, I will leave you, of course, in the, uh, the warm hands and the very cool embrace of Dr. Alex Stewart. Okay. Uh, beginning with uh, PSG 1 to Manchester City, it was a game of two halves, Alex. There were two halves in this game. Half one, PSG were excellent. Neymar, tantalising. Mm -hmm. He deserved uh, deserved that lovely goal. Uh, although, who scored the goal? Who scored the goal? What was the goal? Who scored the goal again? Uh, it was um, Marquinhos with a header from a corner. 
Oh, that one. Yeah, the set piece. There we go. Uh, anyway, deserved goal. And uh, I'm thinking, as I'm sure you were, maybe City are going to throw it away again. And then half two, City dominant. Where's Neymar gone? He's gone. One goal, two goal, red card. Some tasty Kool-Aid, wasn't it, Alex? What was going wrong for City in the first half then? And how did they turn it around in the second? Because it really felt like night and day. Yeah, there was a significant difference. Um, uh, so City in the first half were relatively conservative. Um, they tried to keep the ball. They tried to pass it around in their usual style. Um, but PSG pressed very effectively. Um, the falling back into that four-four-two kind of block shape with Verratti busy on the left-hand side, Di Maria on the right-hand side was good at at stopping City's ball progression down the flanks. They weren't switching it quickly enough, so they didn't really exploit any space that was there. Uh, and PSG hassled and harried and were able to put City on the back foot quite a lot. And because Guardiola had made this decision to be relatively conservative with the deployment of his fullbacks, particularly Carl Walker on the right-hand side not pushing up, that much, which was something that we hinted at uh, in the preview video that we did um, on the basis Don't brag. that... Don't brag. I'm not bragging. I'm just flagging it up. Um, uh-huh. That, you flagging, know, Kylian bragging. Mbappe was going to try and exploit that particular space. It, it meant that City basically didn't get enough people forwards to be able to maintain the possession structures that they like to do so once they get into the final third. Um, that yeah. was exacerbated a little bit as well by by the fact that De Bruyne as a false nine was dropping deep as he usually does. But We were know, texting there's... about that at that point, just to, just to yeah. focus on the first half for one second, because um, we texted about that during the game. And I remember asking, you know, I wonder, City is so used to dominating... I mean, basically, virtually every game that they play, uh, the fullbacks are so integral to it, and their you know their their forward movement is integral to it. Without that, it felt a little bit like City's forwards, who are obviously exceptional players, didn't really know not not that they didn't know what to do, but just that they weren't used to playing like that. Yeah, they felt a lot more isolated than than they have done in previous games, and you were getting forward runs, some forward runs from from Gundogan. But because PSG were able to break a lot of those uh, attacks up and were also themselves able to progress the ball through City's press quite well, that meant that that City couldn't push people forwards in the same sort of way that they normally do. And that's how those possession mm-hmm. structures work. The, the, the forwards are supported. You know, when, when Riyad Mahrez is playing very, very wide on the right-hand side and then cuts inside to, to create a goal threat, from that right-hand side, it's he's able to do it because the central midfielder is drifting across or the fullback is making the overlap. And without those things happening quite so much because of the way that PSG were, were pressuring City, it basically meant that Mares was kind of thinking, well, do I stay out here as the outball, which is what I'm supposed to do? If I drift inside, there's going to be a cavern of space. There's no one really to support me or yeah. give the ball to in quite the same way. Um, and it made everything slightly disjointed and I think the weird thing about the first half is that City still had more possession they still had more passes but there was a bit of a disconnect between the front and the back and that meant that that they weren't able to be as fluid once they had the ball it was kind of a little a little bit slower a little bit more ponderous uh, and that's why you weren't getting the kind of penetration that you normally do. It's also uh, the first half the way that City played rubbed us of what I thought would be the most exciting part of 
the game, and actually Jermaine Genus mentioned this in the in the commentary on BT too, because in the second half we we saw I think one glimpse of a foot race between Kyle Walker and Kylian Mbappe, and before the game I thought that would be that would be something exciting to see. You wouldn't normally see a, a player, a defender who might be able to keep pace with him, and because of the way that they played in the first half, um, we didn't really we didn't really see that at all. That changed obviously uh, as the second half progressed, and I'm left thinking, okay. If if the change was that City's fullbacks were allowed to be more attacking and to push a bit further up the pitch, and you know City completely dominated the second half, was the was the approach in the first half just over cautiousness? Because clearly, when they played the way that they would ordinarily play, they dominated the game. Yeah, I I think it probably was not necessarily over cautiousness um, because you know they they only had a a one goal deficit at half time. I think. It's understandable when PSG have the kind of threat that they do, particularly from from Neymar and and uh, Mbappe, but also with Di Maria being a, a tricky customer who sometimes gets left out of that conversation. And people talk about a front two rather than a front three, but you know Di Maria was there were there were instances where Mbappe was actually drifting out to the right hand side and Di Maria was playing yeah. centrally, and you know there was a lot of movement and rotation going on there. You have to contain that. You have to work your way into a game. I also thought that as the match progressed, Rodri became more influential. You know, he wasn't dealing particularly well with PSG's pressing in the first half. Um, there was one instance, I think, where he gave the ball away that led to a very good chance. But but as he was able to ex- assert himself a little bit more as PSG's press fell off, I think that gave... City more control and the ability to push forwards a bit more as well. Zinchenko is slightly quicker than Cancelo, so when that change was made, I think again that allowed City to to push up. So yeah, it it's hard to know, isn't it? I mean, ultimately they get the result they want to get, so you you can make an argument that the conservative first half made sense because they were feeling their way into the game, and then they made the changes that were required and and dominated it. Uh, if that hadn't happened, then people would obviously look at at the first half and go, "Well, that's where they lost it because they weren't pressing enough." You know. Mm. Well, I did want to talk about Neymar. Maybe we'll just do that now because it, it sort of fits in with uh, what we're already discussing. He was um, he was outstanding in the first half, and I remember watching him and thinking, "You know, this is this is the player that." I'd always imagined that Neymar would be every single game. Uh, I haven't watched him for a while. I wonder if, you know, this is this is what he does uh, week in, week out. In the second half, I think as a result of the way that City changed the way that they were playing, he com- like c- completely disappeared from the game. I, I, to the point where at times I wondered if he'd been subbed because like, I didn't spot him <laughs> on the pitch, you know. It was, I think it's a really extreme example of, uh, you know, the game of two halves uh, uh, cliche. Um, but I guess my question then is, you know, one of the reasons that PSG played well in the first half, I think, is because Manchester City didn't play in their ordinary way. As I said, they kept their fullbacks fairly, uh, fairly back, fairly narrow, uh, and they essentially they couldn't keep, uh, hold onto the ball in the same way as, as you described. There was that disjointing between attack and defence, something that uh, City players wouldn't be ordinarily used to. Progressing the ball from defence to attack was difficult for them and therefore the possession game that they like to play was a little bit different. We know that one of the reasons it's so hard to score against them is because they always have the ball. And because of the way that they played in the first half, that just wasn't true. 
which is where I think Neymar shone in, you know, particularly in the middle area of the pitch, those very simple passing interchanges that he was, he was making with Mbappe and Di Maria. He was just outstanding. He was, he was by, by a million miles the best player on the pitch in the first half. So I guess my question is, the reason I say over-cautiousness or, or, or potentially over-cautiousness is because, as I see it, when City started to play the way that they normally would, uh, Neymar completely disappeared from the game. And presumably that was because the PSG just didn't have the ball. Yeah. Yeah, I, and and it's it's one of those kind of Guardiola maxims that you know if you've got the ball, the opposition can't attack. You know, possession yeah. is a form of defense as well as being the way that you create attacks. And I think that it wasn't just that City had the ball; it was also the way that PSG were winning the ball back in the first half, right through that midfield pressing, um, through creating that kind of narrow band of four in the middle that would then spring forwards and. You know, Verratti was able to to kind of roam around and, and link play. Paredes is very good at, at playing the ball from deep. So when, when PSG won the ball in the first half, there was usually quite a bit of space for Neymar to start to be able to move into. Uh, Mbappe is doing likewise. Di Maria is doing likewise. And all of a sudden, City are facing three extremely quick, talented attackers who keep swapping positions in a way that's really quite irritating if you're a defender. Yeah. And... And, and PSG were able to to create those transitions, which is exactly the circumstance in which Neymar thrives. He wants to have the ball at his feet with defenders having to make decisions, with uh, space to run into and with players moving around him. So it wasn't just that in the second half City had the ball a lot more. It was also that, that PSG were not winning the ball back in the same way to then create those opportunities to transition. And Neymar is, yeah, sometimes he does forage and drop deeper and try and win the ball back closer to his own uh, mm. kind of midfield area. But that wasn't the game plan here. You know, the the, the opportunity, and, and weirdly in the second half, that opportunity almost would have been more present if PSG had been able to win the ball back because City were playing yeah. higher and, and with their fullbacks pushed up. So it made sense for Neymar to stay where he was and wait for those opportunities to come. It's just in the second half they didn't. Do you know what he reminded me of in that game? Have you seen The Sopranos? Yeah, of course. I'm watching The Sopranos now. As people, listeners probably know, my only cultural references come from whatever's happening in my life at, at that moment. I can't remember anything else. But the, but the Sopranos, what a great show. Do you remember when Tony meets Gloria? One of his gourmets, as they call them in the show, he meets her. He meets her in his therapist's office, and she works at the Mercedes uh, dealership. Yes, I do. Yeah, Gloria. Yeah, Gloria is amazing at the beginning, isn't he? Isn't she? To Tony, Tony thinks she's the the coolest. She's a she's a fun, cultural, sexy woman. Yeah, that, and that's great for Tony. And then uh, in the second half, uh, Neymar throws a stake at his head, and it all, <laughs> you know. And wants, to wants Tony to to kill him, and uh, that's 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 what I was left with visions of uh, Neymar as Gloria from the Sopranos. Yeah. You know, it's an it's, it's an up and down relationship. The most involved Neymar seemed to get in the second half, from memory, was that vociferous protesting to try and get one of City's players sent off. Which I hate so much. And I know it, it's that, a bit of like a normal thing to get upset about that sort of stuff, and and that is something which is attached to Neymar, right, as part of his the his perceived personality. 
but oh, oh he hell, was you can hear the them shouting one. it's the yeah. same it's the same i think it was mike and us who were shouting it's the same yeah. it's the same it's not the it's, same it was <laughs> not, not even close same. to being the same God no and it. it's and it's weird and that's the that's the two sides of neymar you have you have an extraordinarily talented footballer who like you say you know was the best player on the pitch of a pitch full of really, really good players in the first yeah. half. Yeah. Uh, and then as he becomes peripheral, he becomes petulant and irritable and whingy. And and it, it, yeah. it's just a shame because I, I think, you know, City are obviously now in a really pretty dominant position taking this back to the Etihad. And it, and it may be that yeah. once again, Neymar is going to fall short before even reaching the final hurdle, as as he did previously, but it's you know, funny what, we've got we've got a video coming out on him soon. Have you seen actually set, separate this one? I'm not sure if you've seen the script, Alex. But we, I won't give away the game. But within it, we talk about the number of goals that Neymar has scored, you know, per season um, throughout his career. And I think only twice has he scored more than twenty. And you know, generally speaking, the the reason for that uh, in, in the vast majority of seasons is because of his pretty bad injury record yeah it's a shame really i mean like you know you would have hoped when we saw him at the uh at the what well, the 2014 world cup i suppose was seven years ago now in brazil and you know the iconic uh memory of that brazil team for me aside from the from the 7-1 uh is you know neymar this young guy supposed to supposedly carrying this whole country on his back and then his back goes do you know, like he's even injured out of the out of the World Cup on his home territory. It just seems like something's happened to him over and over and over again, and well, he, enormously is, impacted his career. Oh, hugely! But it, it, he gets fouled so much, you know, because of the way he plays. It's and and yes, when he gets fouled, he then does like fifteen rolls, and his face is the grimace of pain like you've never seen. But he does get kicked constantly by players who are not yeah. as good as he is, and. I think there is probably for him, uh, like a on a more existential level, that frustration of knowing how good he is, knowing that the only way people are going to be able to stop him is by kicking him, that that then has injuries attached to it, that he misses out on certain things. I, I think that probably goes to why he plays the way he does sometimes. Um, yeah. Because on his day, he's just extraordinarily fun to watch. Absolutely. Well, anyway, screw him. Let's talk about De Bruyne. Uh, fairly quiet in the first half, but he also, a bit like you were talking about with Rodri, started to impose himself more and more as the game went on. Is he the best player left in the tournament, do you think? I think he's the best all-round player left in the tournament because I think mm. what De Bruyne does is he's the complete midfielder. There's, there's nothing he can't do. And that involves even the, the defensive work rate, the tackling. He's surprisingly physical, something that we've talked about before. Um, yeah. Sam, Sam Lee uh, had his um, did it his sort of on the whistle piece, which I read of this the morning oh, of the Athletic, and it was talking about how um, De Bruyne's cheeks were still red when he was being interviewed, and in a funny sort of way, like. If it were any other footballer, I would I'd have just sort of passed over that comment. But with De Bruyne, it kind of conjures yeah. up this image of there's something almost like very young about him still. That he's fresh faced and kind of huffs and puffs. It's, it's the, skin, the skin tone, I would say, with the hair color, probably. I think it probably is. Um, but he, yeah. So he's you know he's got that he's got that dynamism to his game. I've got a oh. young face. 
Right. I, I got told. I got told by a woman in a petrol station when I was buying cigarettes wearing a mask that I had young eyes. Did she ID you? I, I think she was thinking about it. Oh, no, maybe mm. she did ID me. Yeah. I hope she did, because if she said you had young eyes, that feels like you didn't, didn't pass the 25 test, you know? Which is bizarre, because we both know that I'm considerably older than that. That's true. Most of your skin wrinkles would have been beneath the mask, though, so I guess she's forgiven. Yeah, and also the, the beard. So really, if there's... You know, I've, true. Been, I've got a small patch where the wrinkles might show. Yeah. Yeah, masks yeah. have been good for vanity. I like them. I don't want to. I mean, it's a bit warm now, so it's not much, as much fun. But over the last few months, uh, going for walks and such in the English weather, I've just worn them when I'm nowhere near anyone because my face is warm, you know. Mm. And I wonder if that's what De Bruyne was doing just before he got to... It, maybe that's why possible. his cheeks were all rosy. It is possible. So, yes, in answer to your question, I would say he is the best all-round player left. <laughs> Forgot what my question was. Let's talk about Riyad Mahrez as well, because he was the surprise taker of the free kick uh, for City's second goal, which was a nice free kick. That Bad wall, though. Bad wall. Bad wall, uh, um, yeah. Really bad. But he's been brilliant recently, I've noticed. And I feel also, like, you know, stacked among City's talent as he is, he's sometimes a bit overlooked. You know, because he came yeah, from Leicester I, and it's a little bit less flashy and whatever. But he's been, you know, fairly consistently good over the last couple of years. A couple, a couple of dips in form. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. The interesting thing about Mares is that he's, you know, he's a flashy player, right? You know, he, he's got tricks and he's got changes of pace and he can drive inwards and shoot and do all of this cool stuff. But in the City Guardiola setup, he actually plays in quite a disciplined way. Um, yeah, he's, he's extremely he's, important, which is extremely important because because he's there to provide that initial width. Guardiola is a big fan of having his wide players staying wide. That then allows you know whether the fullback continues the underlap or whether it's a midfielder. But the you know the, the idea of stretching out the opposition defence by maintaining that width, I think what it sometimes means is that the the more and that particularly happens on on the right hand side because Foden seems to have a lot more license to drift in from the left hand side and so Mares is following orders that in a way limit him as a player but the fact that he's able to do that the fact that he's able to maximize his input when he does get the ball and still do important things and also work really hard you know he was getting back um, and defending like he's not a natural defender but he was making you know he was covering a lot of ground on that right flank particularly in the first half when when Walker was as deep as he was um, just goes to show I think that there is a there is a collective ethic in that Manchester City team and, and it means that we'll we'll probably not see the sort of Mares that we could have seen had he gone to a club that yeah. required his individual creativity more, uh, and that's that's sort of a shame. Well, we but saw I think that at Leicester, though, didn't we? We saw that at Leicester. Uh, what I, you know, I'm, I'm, what I mean is, if he maybe if he went to Arsenal, where they kind of went, oh, let's just please give it to him and see what he can do, then yes. we'd have got more of a bag of tricks and more goals and yeah. more assists. But what There's we still get time. instead is somebody who who does exactly what they are supposed to do to extremely high technical level. Um, and that's kind of what City want from all of their players. I feel like Arsenal are exactly the sort of club to buy a 31-year-old Riyad Mahrez. So. <laughs> yes. 
and then like ex- expect the world. Sign him on a free when he's like 32 for yeah, yeah. way more money than they should do at the expense of a much talent, talented younger winger who's waiting to come through. It's, oh, yeah. Do you know yeah, what I that. get annoyed at? Is how annoyed Arsenal fans, not all of them obviously, but some Arsenal fans get with Willian. I think you knew what you were signing, surely. It's Willian. Yeah. He hasn't done anything amazing for four years. It's like, it's you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, a good winger who puts in a, a hard work and a good shift. But when, when was the last time he scored more than five goals in a season? A long time ago. Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. It's, I mean, Willian, you know you're going to get a decent amount of pressing and the occasional good ball delivery from a set piece. Sure. That, that's what Willian is now, really. Has been for a while. Anyway. Good Willian. Not uh, to get into Arsenal. Riyad Mahrez scored that goal, didn't he? Uh, the goal, of course, scored against Keylor Navas, Tifo's favourite goalkeeper. Um, <laughs> I've uh, only one thing to say about Keylor Navas, Tifo's favourite goalkeeper, and that is that with his blonde hair, he looks a bit like that character from all those films. You know the one, Alex, who uh, the undercover adult police officer with uh, who's sort of undercover with the college kids at spring break or something. And it's really patently obvious that he is quite a lot older than everybody uh, else. That he's, what's that? Is he's it 21 Jump Street? That's Does, an example of one of those films, sure. Yeah, is it a I whole genre? It's, it's a whole genre, yeah. Right, you're okay. undercover with the kids. Uh, Gosh, but, you know, there's a series awful. of films. I'm trying to remember some names. I can't. From, from the 80s and 90s where it's absolutely obvious that uh, this mm. uh, this uh, this person is <laughs> 20 years older and is, uh, you know... The irony being that also man. all of the people that are playing college kids are also, in, like, at least 25. Yeah, it's, it is so kind of weird. the whole thing is just shifted up. To come back to The Sopranos, right? Did you... Mm. Uh, Megan and I have been, like, laughing so much about this in every episode because Carmela and Tony in season one are supposed to be 38 and 37. No. And then I, I thought that was really? absurd, right? <laughs> I looked at how old James Gandolfini was when he was filming that. He yeah. was 37 when he started filming The Sopranos. He Jeez. looks like a 60-year-old man. He's 30. He's your age. Tony he's Soprano younger, is your younger age. Younger than me. I'm not sure if it's just something that happens to you where you don't notice what you look like to other people. But Tony's like Tony Soprano being younger than 40, absurd to me. Absurd. But have, you, have you watched it all the way through before? Yes. So I wonder whether part of it is that... The immense amount of stress and pressure. Well, the, yes, but also the, the Tony Soprano that we have in our mind is is the Tony Soprano at the end when all of the bad stuff has happened and he's also in real life, whatever, eight, ten years old or something. Sure. And so it's quite difficult to go all the way back to the first episode. It's, when not, he's, it's not when you're watching it, though. I mean, I'm looking at him in front still of me a surprise. on telly. It, right. He doesn't look any different at the end than he does <laughs> okay. at the beginning. I think he's all. I think he just came out of the womb looking like a forty-eight-year-old, slightly man. haggard. Yeah, and, yeah. it's crazy. Not anyway, haggard, so these, these cultural the references word. are haggard is the wrong word. Uh, these references are about twenty-five years out of date, aren't they? So we'll we'll stop doing them now. But do watch The Sopranos; it's fantastic. Hey, let's uh, back to the football. Uh, it's not over, is it? Because presumably, um, as I believe the BT commentary pointed out, Pochettino's going to watch this game back. Uh, and uh, he'll be looking for things to change. What will those things be, do you think? Because PSG had a pretty good grip on the first half, as discussed. Uh, almost no grip at all on the second half. 
we assume we know how Pep's going to approach the, the second leg as a result of the, the first. But what will Pochettino be looking to do? I think it's hard for him because PSG are most effective when they're breaking at pace. And it's not going to be... I mean, even against the lesser teams in Liga, it, that that is still the predominant... Like, they can play through the lines, obviously. They've got really good midfielders. but But the main threat is still... Mbappe or Neymar getting in behind and City are going to be an even more extreme version of what they were like in the second half um, uh, at home because they're going to have the confidence of a one goal cushion but those goals being away goals um, they're going to look to dominate and push forwards and so Mm. It's going to be a very kind of tight balancing act for PSG that, that they're going to want to leave those two guys up in the in the the four four two block that they have. You know there'll be a big old gap between Mbappe and Neymar and everyone else, but those chances will be few and far between. So what what they have to really do is play kind of how they did in the first half, but knowing that City are going to play more like they did in the second half and be super clinical because they will get a chance or two yeah. um, and set pieces you know Marquinhos did well from that corner that that is still going to be a threat Di Maria is a brilliant brilliant set piece taker yeah there's a couple of other in- in- exceptional corners weren't there yeah and he's he's got I mean he's as good as as De Bruyne with the ball in actual play you know De Bruyne gets that kind of whip and dip and curl on the ball and Di Maria can do the same thing from a set piece so they will have the opportunity I don't I don't think it's it's not going to be one of those games where Pochettino goes and sits down and watches it and thinks ah shit if we'd done x y and z we would have won this yeah there's not going to be a clear answer it's going to be doing a lot of the things that they were already always going to do but just doing them a little bit better which is a yeah. kind of boring answer, I'm sorry. But no, no, I think, you know, it's probably a good answer. Um, it was a bit boring, though, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, that's, you're here to bring the fun. <laughs> oh, sorry, okay. Um, final question on this game. Having seen both first legs, Alex, I'm trying to bring some fun, do we uh, still think that the winner of this tie is likely to be the winner of the competition? Um, Not both legs, sorry. Both first legs. Sure. Yes, I, I I got that. Um, you got it. I before the games, I would have He's said yes. He's not so sure anymore. But having seen Chelsea, I no, I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, I still, I still think that you, particularly on the back of the whole season, you still fancy Manchester City to win any game they go into against anybody I, I I don't think that's unreasonable um, but there is something about the way Chelsea play that just makes me think if there's anyone who could upset City then it's going to be them I think that's the most likely final at this point and 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 Tuchel's Tuchel's game plan for that would be not dissimilar to what PSG would try and do as well you know, using pace to attack particular channels, dragging defenders out of position. That, like it, it makes sense. The reason that that City would be vulnerable to Chelsea is the same reason that they'll be vulnerable to PSG. So yeah, you you, you can see that happening. Okay, okay, okay. 
Well, anyway, that's the end of that bit. We'll come back after this with another bit. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, it's the second bit now. Uh, Real Madrid won. Won Chelsea. Bit of an odd game, Alex. Hmm? A reminder, if it was at all necessary, that this was the first time Chelsea and Real Madrid have ever met in the Champions League. Hmm? And boy, was it a wet one because of the rain. Uh, delightful goal from Benzema to tie it up at 1-1 after Pulisic scored an early uh, goal in the first half. Fairly balanced at times, uh, I think. But overall, it seemed to me that Chelsea uh, controlled the game a bit better. And I wasn't expecting that beforehand, Alex, to be quite honest with you. Why not? Uh, because I'm not good at football. Oh, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I suppose, yes. I mean, obviously, Real are at home. They've got lots of good players. They've got strong midfielders who keep the ball well and pass it around. But this this sort of weird system that that Zidane employed, which I guess on paper was probably a 3-5-2. Um, I mean, I think Benzema and Vinicius were sort of like a striking pair, but Vinicius was almost exclusively drifting out to the left-hand side. You had all of these weird movements going on of players pushing up and tucking in, Tony Kroos dropping back to almost be like a left-sided centre-back in a back four that was mm. comprised of other centre-backs. Like, I, I could, it was I could weird. see what was happening, <laughs> but there was no part of me that went, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think Kroos, okay, Kroos dropping back made sense in that Chelsea are very, very good at pressing in midfield areas and trying to create a bit of space for Kroos to be able to pass the ball long. Michael Cox wrote that article about what they did in their last Champions League game. The idea yeah. of getting kind of Kroos in the pocket to play these these long balls into the channels that could then be chased and attacked. Little pocket and he was Kroos. having to do that. Sorry? Little pocket Kroos. Yeah, little pocket Kroos. Um, there was... Uh, you know, there was a requirement to do that deeper against Chelsea because their midfield press and, and the blocking is so effective. So there were bits of it that made you think, yeah, okay, I can understand why this is happening. But but it created these very odd shapes with people popping up in positions that just didn't seem to be effective. Whereas Chelsea were very much more what you'd expect them to be. There were some clever little tweaks. So when they were blocking, they were using a kind of three-three-two-two, which is something that Dermot Corrigan um, picked up on on Twitter, yeah. uh, and and that kind of box shape of pressing at, at the beginning, uh, uh, not at the beginning, at the, the the upper end of the pitch, allowed them to kind of flex around and, and stop the ball progression and, and reduce Casemiro's ability to 
to move the ball through the deep areas. That was really smart. Um, the way the fullbacks were were sort of controlling the movement of the opposition players by not always going as high to start with and then bursting forwards into the space behind. Like, you know, Tuchel is very good at making these subtle tactical adaptations on a game-by-game basis, but within a structure that remains very consistent. But then it's always Real Madrid, isn't it? You, you always just have that feeling that because they've got certain players and because they've got Zidane in the dugout and blah, 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 they, they can do stuff that um, is going to put the tie on its head. So I like it. I don't know. Mm. It, it, it kind of made sense. But it, I guess in a way you're right. Okay, a word on uh, Jorginho, who seems to have thrown off the criticism of yesteryear uh, already under uh, Tuchel in what's only probably about 20 games, Alex. Yeah, I mean, I think... Okay, so Jorginho obviously was was massively associated with, with Maurizio Sarri because he brought him in, because he was Sarri's key man at Napoli. He was Sarri boy. He was. He was Sarri boy of Sarri ball. Um, yes. And, and it just went badly, didn't it, for pretty much everyone concerned. I, um, I felt bad for him. I'm glad he's doing well. Yeah, and and then again under Lampard, I think, because Lampard had this incredibly kind of loose midfield structure and wanted to attack in a certain kind of way, again, Jorginho just looked a little bit lost. Whereas here, he f- it, it feels like... that. So Tuchel likes to have this midfielder who drops off and, and creates a diamond with the back three and who can then spray the ball around. That is an ideal situation for Jorginho because that's what he's good at doing. He also then dovetails really well with whoever his midfield partner is, whether it's Kante or Kovacic, um, to create that kind of quite narrow little screening band that moves backwards and forwards, protects the back three. And it feels like... I, I don't think Tuchel has designed a system to get the best out of Jorginho. I think the way that Tuchel wants to play happens to benefit a player who's already there. Um, yeah. And and he's, his influence is, is really growing. And, and what it also allowed... So, you know, Kante's movement was, I thought, very, very good against Real Madrid. A lot of the time that Kante was either pushing up or drifting back, it was creating spaces for other players. And occasionally Kante himself was able to burst into space. Yeah. And because Jorginho is sitting in front of that back three, and as a unit they can move forwards, they can control the tempo, that means that the whoever is playing alongside him in midfield has more latitude to move around and create space for other people and push into space themselves. So I think Kante was a beneficiary of that against Real Madrid. Kovacic has been a beneficiary of it otherwise. But Jorginho is really making a lot of what Chelsea do tick. And It's quite funny, isn't it, really? It's um, great. These (laughs) midfielders, these central midfielders have been the huge problem for, for almost as long as I can remember. I mean, obviously, you know, back to, back to Sarri joining uh, and uh, the the times between then and now, but Tuchel's making it look like extraordinarily easy. Tuchel's making, you know, he's coming yeah. in. He's he's almost just gone. Yeah, what everyone thought, do that, and it works. It's it's really odd, isn't it? Because the overriding impression of of Chelsea this season is that Tuchel makes it look easy. Yeah. <laughs> that that there's there's not been. This, I mean, yes, okay. He's he's using a slightly different system to 
I mean, Lampard experimented with the back three as well, but he's just come in and gone, right, do this, guys. And they've all gone, yeah, okay, yeah. we'll do that. And it's well, just... Because now, now I think, like, <laughs> of course away. Kante and Jorginho is an incredible midfield partnership. Of course it is. Whereas before, I don't know. It's funny anyway. It, yeah, it's... I suppose part of it is also that the structures that you build around a midfield are so important. And, and Mason Mount does... You know, in Mason Mount and Kante, they've 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 got two players who both do the work of one and a half to two people. Uh, mm. In the fact that Rudiger has come back into form, Christensen is being used well. You know, you've got you've got defenders who can control the ball or bring the ball forwards. It's it's not just that you know he's he's created a system and it really suits one of the midfielders. Everybody's playing better or in a role that is good for everybody else. But the fact that he's managed to do this as quickly and seemingly effortlessly as he has is a kind of real, like, wow, <laughs> that's that's just very impressive. If there was a sort of question mark at all against um, Chelsea's performances recently, and a bit, a bit on the night perhaps, it might have been about Timo Werner. I mean, lots of people pointed out that his uh, off-the-ball runs were actually really good in this game. It's just um, it's just what he's in front of goal, isn't it? It's a little... But anyway, uh, Liam Toomey uh, wrote, recently wrote an, an athletic article, I think it might be out today, um, with some of these interesting key stats. I thought I'd read them to you, Alex, and you can react to them in real time, okay? Mm, okay. Stat number one. Werner is one of 11 Premier League forwards to have played more than 1,000 minutes and had at least 20 of what Opta terms big chances. Yeah. Yep, okay, that was a, that's not the reaction I was hoping for, but I'll, I'll carry on. EPL big chance conversion for I think this means for for Werner is 22.7%. Kane is 60, Salah is 46.4, Bamford around 25%. Uh how do you react to that? Um shock. An, a, a noise or Disgust. yeah, okay, you you've said the word of an emotion there. That's fine. Horrendous. Uh, had a yes. big chance conversion of 67% in his debut season, 46% uh, last season. Big chances are, of course, harder to come by for him in this league as compared to the to the Bundesliga. Apparently, it's 0 0.88, uh, I, uh, I assume, per match that is here, versus 1.14 and 1.25 in his last two Bundesliga seasons. Um, he needs to find his clinical touch, doesn't he? Uh, he does. I'm going to say I was disappointed by your reactions. I just want to try that try that one more time. Well, I just want a little bit more from you. Just give, yes. just, just just step out out on the plank a little bit, as they did okay. in the old pirate times. Just yeah. take a risk, okay? One more time. Here we go. Uh, his chance big chance conversion rate is 22.7 percent. Keynes is 60. Wow, 60. That's that's almost three times as much. That's I'm good, staggered. That's good. You're staggered. Are you, okay, now you can answer the question. Okay, thank you. Um, he, yeah, I, I mean, part of part of this is to do with what a big chance is, and what is a big chance? It's a chance where the well, it's big. It's yes, it's a contested um, kind of designation. It, it's basically the chance. It's a chance where you should score is the simplest yeah. way of putting it, by which people yeah. would generally understand that you've got a greater chance of scoring than not. So he's basically only scoring one in five of those. Yeah, he's ba it's basically the sort of thing where he's where he's put through on goal or where it comes to him 
maybe no more than eight yards out and there aren't many defenders around. It's that sort of chance. It's okay. it's the chance that makes you think, oh, he, why didn't he score that when he didn't score it? It's the um, chance that Kane scores 60% of the time. Yes, exactly. Which, uh, you know, Kane is very, very good. Um, I think with... With the way that Leipzig played in the Bundesliga, he was he was going to get more of those because he was the guy that was running through against a higher defence. It was him one-on-one with the goalkeeper. He would still, you know, screw them up every so often. I think the issue is here that he's, he's expected to be more of a kind of sole focal point. And mm. he is... Yes, his runs are good when Chelsea are attacking at pace. What I don't see him doing that I'd like to see him do a bit more is his movement when Chelsea are building more slowly and have got control of the ball around the final third. Mm, He seems to be a little bit static sometimes. He seems to, you know, Chelsea needs to be going full throttle for his movement to make sense. And it's really difficult because, you know, you've you've got in Tammy Abraham a very, very good young striker on the bench but a striker of a, of a completely different profile who they're entirely committed to selling by the sounds of it which does and doesn't make sense to me I mean it it doesn't make sense because Tammy Abraham is a naturally good player and you would think I'd quite like to hold on to that but at the same time he's so different from the type of striker yeah. that looks to be what is appropriate for Tuchel's system that it kind of like yeah I, I don't know. It's kind, I, of the, I, it's kind of the Lukaku Man United thing a bit, isn't it? Like Lukaku is clearly the best striker that United had. He just didn't fit in the system that they wanted to play. Yeah, and he goes somewhere else where the system is more suitable for him, and he yeah. absolutely kills it. So you know, I, I, gonna, I, a separate question though. Like uh, the, the reports or the rumours suggest that Tammy Abraham is available for sale, uh, for purchase, I should say, for forty million pounds. That's where the, that's where the club would start listening to offers. Who's going to buy him for £40 million, though? I don't think anyone's going to buy him for £40 million, sadly. Um, Because, Mm. partly because I don't think that many clubs have got £40 million. Would someone buy him for £30 million? Um, I think think that's more likely. I think there's a sort of... £30 is is kind of like your your superstar buy if you're a small club who doesn't have yeah you know that's what i mean though. he's still a bit unproven is is he a superstar for a club of you know bottom half I, of the league? I, I don't think he's unproven i i still think that that a sensible sort of thing is is to loan him to somewhere like dortmund for a season if Holland goes and yeah, yeah. and and see what he can do in a slightly see his different price rocket well, I think you'd see his price go up for sure, but I think you'd also you'd also get used to him. He's not he's not going to be able to play as Chelsea's central striker unless Chelsea commits to him and teach him how yeah. to play in that sort of system, because he's not he's not just like a kind of slow, lanky target man kind of player. No. Like he, you know, he can adapt, but he's not going to adapt. The boy has he's skills. A good run of games in that position. So so getting him to play somewhere that will start him regularly in a system that is a kind of an adaptation towards what would uh, be what would be expected of him at Chelsea, I think is, is a much better idea than just going in this depressed market. 
this summer. Yeah. Oh yeah, let's just ship him out and see if we can. You're not going to get forty million for him. You'll end up selling him for twenty five, mm. and people will then look back at the fact that he then goes and scores fifteen or twenty goals for whoever he plays for, and go Chelsea were robbed. Well, perhaps. Moving on. But wow, Harry Kane's chance conversion rate. Oh, there we go. I like that. Uh, Chelsea also apparently... Well, actually, I only checked this for a bit way through the second half, but uh, Chelsea also ran about 5% more than Real Madrid, apparently. Young legs, etc. I was going to ask you about it, but also many, I just wanted to say this because it made me think of that Christina Aguilera song. Do you know the one I mean? No. Sing it. You know... Uh, you know the one that goes uh, makes me that much stronger. Me, make me oh, baby. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, yeah, thanks for making me a fighter. And then I basically, I, I um, is it? Red I just Man? started reading the lyrics he, to this is song. Is he in it? The, the video is there. That no, the video. The, there's a rap element to it, isn't it? And the video's in a boxing remember. ring. I'm pretty sure. Don't that's remember. True. I actually got confused at the beginning, and I and I Google searched Survivor. By um, uh, that's Destiny's Child. Destiny's Child, because yeah. I thought it was the same song. No, it's not the same no, song. It's, it's just it's just two song. songs about being a survivor. Anyway, sure. I read the lyrics to this song. I like to read the lyrics to the pop songs. Sometimes it's extremely funny, and in this case, it was kind of funny. And I thought I'd read this verse to you, Alex, because it's extremely aggressive. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> I hadn't realised listening that this song is really a, an aggressive song, but you have to read it in an aggressive Mm. way so I'm going to do that excuse me here we go never saw it coming that's my that's the first line yeah all of your backstabbing just so you could cash in on a good thing before I realised your game I heard you're going round playing the victim now hmm but don't even begin to feel I'm the one to blame because you've dug your own grave (laughs) that's from Christina Aguilera's song that that took an Um, unexpected twist at the end didn't it yeah you've dug your own grave just uh, all of your backstabbing. <laughs> yeah, there's. I didn't. I, I didn't a, know Christina was capable of that kind of aggression. No, don't think she wrote it. But go and read. Go and read the lyrics. Basically, to any pop song, it's really it's always fun. It's always fun. But that one particularly, because it's you know I know it's a it's a it's a powerful song, isn't it? It's a it's an emotional song, and presumably mm. it's about a breakup or something. I don't know, uh, some kind of pain. But uh, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea the chill, the, the you know the, the the message that was going into my my brain as a child was so one of such violence. Yeah, um, it explains a lot though. Can Real Madrid turn it around? Uh, I'm going to say no. All right then. Well, that was the end of this bit, and uh, we'll be back after this to do uh, Joe's player quotes and facts database. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. It's Joe's Quotes and Facts Database. Aha, it's Joe's Player Quotes and Facts Database. Yes, it's been a, we've had a brief uh, sojourn, haven't we? But we're back now. Um, and I remembered why we, we had a break, because last night at 10.30pm, when it took me a, an extra 45 minutes to find these nothing things, uh, as you know, it all came flooding back <laughs> as to why I really, really don't yeah. want to keep doing this. But I have done. Um, yeah. And I've picked two Chelsea players uh, for obvious reasons. Today, we've got Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. Uh, which one would you like to start with, Alex? Uh, I'll start with uh, Kai Havertz, please. Let's do Kai Jim. Havertz first. Okay. The less funny of the two. Kai oh. Havertz is a forward. Hmm? And you can. I did him second, and you can really see that I wanted to go to bed. Okay. Uh, his father was a police officer, and his mother was a lawyer. Yeah, the perfect family for a life of crime. Also, his brother is called Yan, and his sister is called Leah, and isn't doesn't his parents pick cool names? Don't they sound cool? Yan, Leah, and Kai Havertz. That sounds like a cool family, doesn't it? Yeah, I wonder if they came in alphabetical order. Maybe they did. Uh, he's the youngest, so they didn't. No. Oh, well. I didn't need to wonder, did I? Uh, here's the quote from Kai Havertz. I believe he told this to Bundesliga.com. Bundesliga.com. He said, At 14 or 15, I was still one of the smallest players in the team, which is hard to imagine, isn't it? Uh, and then he, he didn't say that bit. And then he said, Then I went through a pretty uh, dramatic growth spurt. Um, I had to get used to my legs being longer. It affects the whole way you play football. <laughs> Apparently, he grew really quick because he's extremely tall now. And I have thought before, he's he's unusually tall for a playmaker or a player of his sort of ability. And mm. I guess that's because, yeah, up until the age of 15, he was one of the smallest players on the team. That is a late growth. That's player. really interesting because, he yes, he is. He's taller and he's a lot quicker than the sort of player he yeah. is normally is. So I wonder if he... He developed certain technical skills because he never, because he was small, like the, the kind of the Andreas Iniesta argument that if you're not yeah. strong enough to keep the ball, you have to become really technically proficient. And then he also turned into this incredibly rapid monster. Yeah. So he's got I everything. guess having to like your whole, uh, you know, center of gravity changes, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. So, you know, well done to Kai. Interesting. Um, Okay, Timo Werner now, uh, also a forward, of course. Here's a fact from lifebogger.com, my favourite website. It's Lifebogger. I do love it. Mm. Um, And this is, of course, according to lifebogger.com. A quote from their uh, childhood story of Timo Werner. The quote begins, Growing up, Timo's parents taught him four ideal moral values. Now, four is important there, Alex, and you'll understand (laughs) at the end why I've said that, okay? One, respect for all. That's reasonable, isn't it? That's a good that's a good moral to have. Two, being generous slash helpful. So I guess just one of those. But then, you know, they're interchangeable in a way, aren't they? It's okay. Is there a scenario in which you can be both generous and helpful? I guess there is. I don't know. Yeah. I think by being helpful you're you're automatically being generous at least with your time, aren't you? So I guess so. 
it makes I'm sense. I'm trying to think of a way of disproving what you've said, but I'm just going to move on to number three. Having a sense of responsibility. That's a very important thing, I'd say. Uh, <laughs> good, good. Four. Uh, remember four. Never hurting anyone. Also, that's a good, you know, it's not probably that possible to go through your life without hurting people. We are going to hurt people. Just by nature of uh, relationships existing, huh? People are going to get hurt. Alex, you've been hurt, haven't you? Um, yes. Yes, it explains a lot. And five. Now, do you remember why I said to remember four? Five. Yes. Formulating <laughs> the habit of sharing. That's five. Um, that is five. It wasn't. It, it wasn't four. It was five. But I mean, they're all yeah. good, strong messages. Um, and, and, and formulating the habit of sharing six, actually. Potentially, potentially even because six if you were to separate generous and helpful, as discussed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and Timo Werner's quote, Who wants a piece of this delicious cake? That's the quote there. Um, right. So that's it. That's, why, uh, why do life buggers, life buggers facts often have this kind of slightly... Don't I don't know. know, cod philosophy therapy angle to them, don't they? They always also have, and I've never used a bit from these parts because it feels like wading into, you know, the same reason we haven't mentioned some, the other funny thing that happened at Chelsea this week. It always feels like wading into a bit more of a soap opera area. But mm. for every player history, they do a few things. At the beginning, they say, everyone knows that Kai Havertz is, you know, a technically supreme player. But what they don't know, they, they, they might not know some of some facts of his biography. And then the, every article starts with that sentence, but with, you know, the name changed. Uh, and also they always, almost always have a section about their girlfriend or wife. And uh, <laughs> again, it's, it's, it always starts with this cliche. There's an old adage that says behind every good man is a good woman. And oh, that's dear. no different for Timo Werner. It's <laughs> like pictures of his wife or his girlfriend uh, and all sorts of, you know, it, oh, I nearly picked a quote from from this uh, this one because I, I believe Timo Werner's girlfriend was described as extremely selfless because she doesn't work and she just dedicates her life to Timo Werner. And uh, uh, it's, it has a very uh, unusual, uh, you know, overtone to it. Yeah. So I don't do those bits. No, but a life bogger, you know, it's good. It's a good laugh to go there. And I hope people in, I hope <laughs> to stop using them at some point. It feels, you know, it's a podcast just becoming a life bogger podcast. But uh, do check them out. Mm -hmm. Really do. Yeah. I'll, I'll be sure to. Anyway, um, that's pretty much the end of the podcast now. Uh, except for one thing. Uh, a little for our little outro here. I wanted to uh, stop talking while the big car goes past, but I haven't stopped, so I've carried on. Uh, we were sent a nice thing, weren't we, Alex, on Twitter by uh, by we um, actually I don't know who sent it to us. Thanks for who sent it to us, by, but it's by a, a piece <laughs> by person. But it was this thing written in Sport Bible by a guy called Jack Kenmare. Uh, and we were sent a, a little screenshot of part of it. The story is about, and I'll read now, uh, uh, Daniel Gamboa, born and raised uh, in the, the Los Angeles suburb of La Crescenta. La Crescenta. I'm sure they say it like that, don't they? La Crescenta. Uh, suppressed his uh, inner tactician 
uh, by submitting 347 words on how the popular game a football manager inspired him to study global affairs. Mm? And he uh, was accepted uh, at the, the University of California after he wrote this application essay. What's this got to do with, with me, are you thinking? Well, well now, let me just find the bit that is. because Oh yes, uh, Daniel was quoted as, as saying, It's a niche interest here in the States and my faithful viewership of... Yep, you got it. Tifo football meant that I could connect the game to global politics and diplomacy, explains Daniel. And he was accepted at the University of California, Alex. Hmm? Isn't that nice? It's lovely. Congratulations, Daniel Gamboa. And it's also got me thinking, you know, not many people get articles written about them, do they? So if this is a kind of, this is a one, how many people do you think that's happened to? These, this very specific set of circumstances, because they're, mm. you know, normally it's like a thousand people, isn't it? If there's one, <laughs> if one person has been written sure. about. So basically what that means is that it's likely that many thousands of people have been inspired and helped by us, isn't it? I, That's basically yes. what this means, is that it's actually... Probably, probably fewer people will have gained entry to university by writing about Football Manager having also watched TIFO, I, I think. Maybe. Got a maybe slightly but smaller but, but basically there. the point to focus on though is to is to is that we are extremely influential and yes. people we're you know we're extremely popular and we're really great that's yeah. the main thing i've taken I, away from I this i might have gone with the more of a kind of timo verna slant here and and talk about being helpful and right right you know allowing people to access things they wouldn't otherwise but you've just gone for great well i just you know <laughs> what i'm saying is that you know daniel gamboa's success story is basically my success story that's what right. i'm saying obviously yeah. he's got into university and i'm very pleased for him to have been accepted but it's a bit like i've been accepted at berkeley or university of california whichever one it is yeah. it's a bit basically like i've been accepted as it, it is it is a bit like that Yes. And Daniel Gamboa, you're welcome. And uh, <laughs> University of California, I shall be sending you, I don't know, something, an invoice? I don't know what for. Uh, but there we go. Congratulations to Daniel Gamboa. Uh, wishing you all the best on your journey through uh, collegehood. Yeah? I'm you sure probably it'll be just fine. Probably just watches the videos. He doesn't listen to the podcast. This wasn't about Daniel Gamboa, Alex. This was about me. It doesn't matter uh, if he's listening. I don't care if he's listening. I don't okay. actually care about Daniel Gamboa. I just want people to know that, I, that I, I've been I accepted about, to the University I of California. I care about Daniel Gamboa. Yeah. I do. Hi, Daniel. Well, that's all for today. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Seb will be back uh, next week, and Alex will be away. But we will be introducing a new character, a new face to the complexion here of uh, Tifo uh, football, and uh, it's rather exciting, isn't it? So uh, you'll be able to hear from um, a new Tifo staff member as of the next podcast that we release. So look forward to that. Alex, uh, thanking you. Thank you, Joe. I forgot to sort of do an impression of what Seb would have said on this episode, but maybe we'll save that for another time. Uh, because I've also re remembered that, of course, producer Adonis has gone off to have a baby, like a, a turncoat traitor that he is, leaving us here alone. Well, not alone, because we've got uh, producer Ollie for the next few weeks who's listening in now. He was three minutes late 
I'm not going to lie. It was uh, it was very difficult for me to accept, and I'm hoping that producer Ollie, we can <laughs> we can rectify that over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, we shall see. Uh, I'll be asking you what it was that you know made you think you were qualified for this role, but we'll find out in private, and I'm sure it'll all be fine. Uh, but thanks to producer Ollie and uh, Thomas Hughes for today as well, and uh, we'll be back next uh, Tuesday. So until then. Au revoir, Tipos. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.